south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 229, covering the week of August 24th through August 28th, 2020. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Abbeville Institute. Like our Facebook page at Abbeville Institute. And subscribe to our YouTube page at Abbeville Institute. You can find all those social media accounts at our webpage, abbevilleinstitute.org. That's A-B-B-E-V-I-L-L-E, institute.org. While you're there, give us an email address. We'll give you a free ebook, Exploring the Southern Tradition. It's a great book by 20 Abbeville Institute scholars. You also get our daily dose of Dixie. Monday through Friday, and it's a great way to keep in touch with the Institute. Remember that we exist on your generous contributions alone, so if you like what we do, if you like the podcast, the website, the conferences, please consider a tax-deductible donation to the Institute. You can go to abbevilleinstitute.org, click on that support tab at the top of the page. You'll have donor options. You can donate monthly, annually, or a one-time gift, and we appreciate everything that you do. We do have a conference coming up in October, middle of October, in Charleston, South Carolina, on... I'll Take My Stand and Who Owns America, two of the great books of the 20th century South. The conference is going to focus more on who owns America, but it's going to be a great conference, and we'd like to see you there. We also have a lot of great projects coming up, and so we do hope that you can help us financially to accomplish our goals. We have our publishing arm. We're getting into some video uh, producing. So there's going to be some things that we're doing in the near future that I think you're going to love and of course, with that tax deductible donation, you do help what we do. So keep a lookout for those things. And also keep a lookout for emails from us uh, in regard to those projects as well. Also, download our free mobile application. If you want to have the Abbeville Institute on the go, just go to your app store. Look for Abbeville Institute. And you can download that app. It's a great way to keep up with uh, all our podcasts, our lectures. We have over 200 free-of-charge audio lectures from our conferences. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic resource. And again, free-of-charge, you've got that. Virtually everything we do is free-of-charge. So uh, it, donating is the way that we keep the lights on and keep all these projects going. Also, don't forget to share our material on social media. Rate the podcast where you get your podcast. Do all those things that you can do to help the Institute and help spread the word about the Institute and what we do in exploring what is true and valuable in the Southern tradition. Speaking of the Southern tradition, which is something we always do on this particular podcast, and we focus on the articles that we publish at the website for the week and some of the things going on, I want to start actually with what happened last night and what's been going on, of course, in America. Anybody that's had a, a computer or a television has seen all of the things that are happening in America right now in terms of violence, political violence. And this is all part of the larger project of cancel culture. You cancel things you don't like. You use Gestapo tactics to silence those you don't like. You threaten violence and other things on these people. And it's getting out of control in many places, mostly in the North, which I find to be rather interesting because it's supposed to be the North that's this happy land of very uh, you know, egalitarian and uh, nice people. But we're seeing that this is not the case across the northern part of the United States. And of course, the southern tradition offers the counterweight to that. It always has manners, fine living, 
warm climate, sunny disposition. This is what people talked about in the South for forever in the 20th century, the 19th century. I mean, it was, it was always the manners of the South that set it apart. It's what the South thrived on, manners and welcoming people. Now, I know that, oh, yeah, well, what about race? Of course, you know, there's always thorns in every tradition. But generally, this is how people recognize the South, black and white, that people in the South had manners and they had hospitality. This was something that they did. If you uh, listen to Louis Armstrong talk about home in, uh, in his song, When It's Sleepy Time Down South, or you listen to any of the other northern musicians who penned songs about the South in the early 20th century, that's what I like about the South. These are things they talked about, that place that you want to go see because of the welcoming atmosphere of it. And you still have it in the South today. And that's something Southerners should be proud of. Unless you live in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and you want to have a Sons of Confederate Veterans meeting that you've had in a particular restaurant for decades, no, no longer, because somebody, probably not from Wake Forest, and probably someone who was a transplant there from out of town, complained that these Sons of Confederate Veterans, who would never even have much memorabilia that could be seen anywhere else in the restaurant, said that they were upset that these Sons of Confederate Veterans were meeting in that particular restaurant, and the owner of the restaurant then canceled their meetings. Uh, this is, I think, going to happen more and more. And, of course, the restaurant received a lot of backlash for this, and they stopped uh, taking any comments or any calls on it. The best thing you can do, of course, is just stop attending. Stop going to the restaurant. If you really believe that it's not worth it, don't go anymore. I mean, this is something I think Southerners are going to have to start using. In the American War for Independence and the lead-up to that, Southerners led the charge, in many cases, for boycotts. If you look at the Virginia Resolves, which were penned by George Mason and presented by George Washington to the Virginia House of Burgesses, that was a large non-importation agreement that Southerners agreed to to hurt the British where it counted most, and that was in their wallet. You see, Yankees, Northerners understand that hurting them in their wallet is the way, I mean, this is the way you get to them. George Washington remarked about this. I mean, these people care more about money than almost any nation on earth, he said. This is how you got to them. This is why he was offering them more money so they would stay in and fight in the war. If you look at what William Marvel talked about when it comes to northern armies during the war, this was a job for these people. I mean, most of these people were destitute. They needed the money, so they signed up to go fight in the South. Uh, th this was something that you did not find in the South. The bounties weren't there. The, the uh, pay wasn't there for, for soldiers. I mean, these people were doing it sometimes because they were forced, but oftentimes because they were simply protecting hearth and home. There was uh, no ideological uh, pursuance of the war for some type of moral crusade for most northern soldiers. It was because they needed a paycheck. And so if you want to go after cancel culture, you go after where it hurts these people the most, and that is boycotting their various enterprises, whether it's a professional athletics event where we see athletes going out and canceling games and doing all kinds of other things. There's no regard for the fans in that point. In that case, I mean, they're going to do these things. They're spitting in the face of fans who would support them, who may not agree with these particular positions that they're taking. And so, why support them any longer? What's, I mean, what's the use? These people are making millions of dollars, and then when you have a restaurant which is 
benefited from these meetings once a month or for years saying and has a relationship with these people saying that not because one person complains, well, we're going to boot them out. I mean, what does that say? And I think this is because of fear, because what we're seeing in America is violence justifying either doing one thing or another. People are afraid to be called names or because they're afraid of some type of violent retribution. Well, we're not violent people, so you just stop paying for their things and you just stop patronizing those uh, restaurants or uh, you stop stop watching the, the athletic event, whatever it is. But as cancel culture comes to your town, which is going to happen, there are ways you can locally try to handle these things. And of course, uh, you can put pressure on local city councils and other things to resist this type of lunacy and madness that we see going on in America right now. And so we had that piece by Boyd Cathy, and I think it was really good. I mean, he, he points out, look, and this, is, this is a highly problematic situation across America. And it's perpetuated by Yankees. I mean, this is, this is the issue, okay? In my own podcast, in, in the Brian McClanahan Show, I talk about this quite a bit, where we really don't have... I mean, what we have in America is a Yankee problem, as Clyde Wilson called it. It's a Yankee problem in America. It's not... It's, this, is, this is the issue. An aggressive, domineering type of attitude toward other Americans. If you're not doing what they want you to do, If you're not following the line that they want you to follow, well, then you are forfeit. Your property is forfeit. Your life could even be forfeit. You are forfeit because you're a subhuman in their mind. And it's more about them than anything else. It's more about their uh, displacing of their own views and trying to say, look how great I am. You're a bad person. I am better than you because I think these things and you don't think these things. This is you're committing a thought crime, as, as Orwell would say. And if you look at the piece by uh, Neil Kumar on Edmund Ruffin, of course, who famously fired the first shots at Fort Sumter, if you look at what, what Ruffin said before he killed himself, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is in June of 1865. Uh, And he says, I here declare my unmitigated hatred to Yankee rule, to all political, social, and business connection with Yankees, and to the Yankee race. Notice how this is, this is about Yankees, not not Northerners, but Yankees. This is a particular race of people who perpetuated much of the problems in American history. He said what, that I could impress these sentiments in their full force on every living Southerner and bequeath them to everyone yet to be born. May such sentiments be held universally in the outraged and downtrodden South, though in silence and stillness until the now far distant day shall arrive for the just retribution for Yankee usurpation, oppression, and atrocious outrages, and for deliverance and vengeance for the now ruined, subjugated, and enslaved Southern states. May the maledictations of every victim to their, uh, to their uh, press with uh, full weight on the perfidious Yankee people and their perjured rulers, and especially on those of the invading forces who perpetuated and their leaders and higher authorities who encouraged, directed, and permitted the unprecedented and generally extended outrages of robbery, robbery, 
rapine, and destruction and house burning, all committed contrary to the laws of war on non-combatant residents and still worse on aged men and helpless women. This is what he said, this is what he wrote before he shot himself in the head. He would not submit to Yankee rule. He called them the perfidious, malignant, and vile Yankee race. In North Carolina, what we're seeing, I'm sure of it, is a Yankee that decided they didn't like, because North Carolina is being overrun with Yankees. I mean, let's, let's be real about this. The people moving into North Carolina are typically from, not from North Carolina, and they are intolerant of traditional Southern tra- history and culture. They are the intolerant ones. There was actually a funny Babylon Bee uh, post the other day that said that there's a new coexist bumper sticker that changes depending on who's in office. If, if, the, if your guy's in office, it's coexist. If they're not, it's resist. Right. So the bumper sticker changes over time. So if Trump's in office or somebody you don't like, some local politician, it's resist. But if your guy's in office, it's coexist, right? Because now you're in power. You see, this is the hypocrisy of the left. It's about power. It's always been about power. In this particular case, I think Ruffin is very clear it's about power. And this, this malcontent, this busybody that decided to go into the Forks Cafe in Wake Forest, North Carolina and call out the owner and make a complaint. It's a busybody. This is what C.S. Lewis <laughs> talked about in several of his books, but I mean, he, was, he was certainly hard on busybodies, and rightfully so, because Yankees are superior busybodies. They run around trying to make sure everybody else is like them and doing what they want, and if they don't, well, then again, you face whatever type of repercussions they can dole out. If it's something minor, they'll do it. If it's something major, they'll do that too. This is the major issue with Yankees. And if you point to issues in America, I mean, look, Portland, it's full of Yankees. Wisconsin's full of Yankees. I mean, this is, this is the thing. And North Carolina's full of Yankees. The coastal region of South Carolina is full of Yankees. You've got parts of the South that are just overrun with Yankees. They're, they are a cancer a malignant tumor, as, as uh, Ruffin called them. This is the problem. And, of course, their perspective on things is one of apostates and scapegoats, as Bo Trawick points out on the Thursday piece. That's because the South is the apostate, really. I mean, their perspective is of apostates, and, and they have to have scapegoats. The South is the apostate, and John Winthrop's, or as the Yankees would say, Weintrop's, shining city upon a hill, and the Southern Confederacy is the scapegoat for all its sins. He says, Today's righteous virtue postings by progressives and their political hue and cry against the South monuments honoring her soldiers is based upon their spurious charges that they are monuments to treason, slavery, and racism. This is pre- presentism. History twisted into the service of present-day politics. Progressives who have taken a page out of Karl Marx's The Communist Manifesto and would level society to the lowest common denominator in the name of equality have taken a page out of George Orwell's 1984 in order to accomplish and control it. But who controls the 
But who controls the past controls the future, who controls the present controls the past. But, he says, to accuse the Confederacy of treason, one must first wipe one's feet on the Declaration of Independence, signed by the 13 slaveholding colonies that seceded from the British Empire in 1776. Lincoln's invasion of the southern states, which he did not recognize as being out of the Union, is treason according to Article 3, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution. To claim the Confederacy took up arms to destroy the Union in defense of slavery, please see above. To claim that the United States waged war against the Confederacy to end slavery, one must ignore Lincoln's emphatic disclaimer to the contrary in his first inaugural address, and then ignore his famous Emancipation Proclamation issued two years later, stating, stating plainly that slavery was all right as long as one was loyal to his government. Proven the following summer when West Virginia, a so-called slave state, was admitted to the Union. As for racism, please note, racism, please note that the first Jim Crow laws originated in northern states, prohibiting blacks, either free or slave, from residing there. The North's political objections to slavery in the territories is based on the North's strong objections to blacks in the territories. The sainted Lincoln, himself a white supremacist who supported his home state of Illinois. Jim Crow laws worked until the day he died to have free blacks deported to Central America or back to Africa. As for black racism, black racism, remember that it was black Africans who captured and sold black Africans into slavery in the first place. Furthermore, United States census records in the 19th century listed many free black owners of slaves in both the North and the South, some owning hundreds. So what was the war about? Don't confuse the many causes of secession with the single cause of the war, which was secession itself. Follow the Yankee dollar and know the truth. With the South's cotton kingdom out of the Union, the North's mercantile kingdom would collapse. So Lincoln, rejecting all peace overtures by Confederate diplomats, launched his armada against Charleston Harbor to provoke, to provoke South Carolina into firing the first shot. South Carolina responded to Lincoln's provocation, just as Massachusetts, a self-anointed patriot state, had responded to King George's provoca provocation at Lexington and Concord in 1775. Virginia, the mother of states and statesmen, stood solidly for the Voluntary Union of 1788. She had given so much to create and perpetuate. But when Lincoln called for her troops to invade and subjugate the Confederacy, Virginia refused, indicated Lincoln, I'm sorry, indicted Lincoln for choosing to inaugurate civil war and immediately seceded. Four other states, including occupied Missouri, followed her out. There stands the truth, not with the North mythical battle cry of freedom. Union at the point of bayonet is slavery to a despotic government. Confederate monuments speak truth to this power and expose its hypocrisy. No wonder the heathen rage have been incited to rioting, vandalizing, and tearing them down under the approving eyes of the big party of government and its handmaidens in the media. No wonder public schools, colleges, and universities, government-funded indoctrination centers for the Puritan city upon a hill, have cast the truth down the Orwellian memory hole and have let go the goat in the wilderness. This is, I think, a succinct summary of the current situation we're in. While ca why cancel culture would go to North Carolina and why these people seem so righteous in doing it, but this is the treasury of counterfeit virtue and why they are going after 150 years later. If you think about this logically, it doesn't make any sense. What do Confederate monuments have to do with any of this stuff? What do Confederate monuments have to do with Anything in Wisconsin or Portland, Oregon, nothing. They have nothing to do with it. But yet, these are the things that are going to be attacked first. Well, if we just got rid of those Confederate monuments, we just got rid of those things, well, then the entire situation would be better. Racism would magically disappear 
in the United States. Of course, that doesn't take into account the Yankees, who are, have always been racists. Uh, the very famous picture, the, the Soiling of Old Glory, which was taken in Boston in the 1970s, where a protester at forced busing in Boston is beating a black man with a U.S. flag. Now, I think one thing that's interesting is the North is coming to this type of reckoning in some ways. This is why you have Colin Kaepernick be able to stand out and say, well, I mean, the Betsy Ross flag is is racist. But you see, Northerners in their hypocrisy can't understand that there were 13 slaveholding republics in 1776. This is true. And so when you start giving an inch on Confederate monuments, you're giving a mile on the United States. Where do you stop it? This is what we've been saying on this particular podcast and on our website for five years. For five years, we've been saying this. And yet here we are, still saying the same things, because the density of these people, particularly the neoconservatives, they don't get it. I mean, if you look at how Rush Limbaugh, for example, rallied around the Betsy Ross symbol, the U.S. flag, there was going to be a set of shoes made. And it was going to use the Betsy Ross flag. And now that particular symbol, I've seen articles about this. Oh, my gosh. You use that original flag. Well, then you're a right-wing militia member. I mean, can you, you think about the stupidity of all of this. Where, how did we get here? Well, it's Yankees. It's Yankees. It is, as Trey points out, the American indoctrination system. It's ridiculously stupid. I mean, to the point of being criminally stupid now because these people are committing criminal acts in the name of stupidity. And this is why we exist at the Institute, to try to point this stuff out, albeit in any way we can and what limited voice we have. But it's still there, and it's something that we try to do on a regular basis. And don't think for a second that the left won't come for grave markers because those people buried in the dirt were just evil people. Why not exhume them and get rid of them? This is what happened during the French Revolution. Why not do that? So the piece that we ran on Friday, I, I just really love this piece, A Monument Worthy of a Hero by Travis Archie. Travis is a just a good guy from Missouri who's out trying to do his best in his local area, and he wrote this little piece about one of his relatives and about a man that one of his relatives fought for, a simple marble slab in Arkansas. He says, eight-tenths of a mile down a dead-end Arkansas gravel road. At that dead end, past two neglected old cattle guards, and in the back pasture is not where you'd expect to find a hero, much less a monument to him and his men. But alas, there he is, lying in all his humble glory. There are no official monuments to this man, or to the men he led into combat, save this one, an upright white stone with a point at the top, which reads simply, Samuel S. Taylor, Company C, 27th Arkansas Infantry, CSA, September 2nd, 1839 to April 18th, 1920. Yet this simple slab of Columbus, Mississippi marble could tell so much to those who would care to listen. If you allow me to be corny and cliche for a moment, I've had the humble yet proud honor of conducting a number of grave marker dedications for a number of Confederate veterans in my home region of southwest Missouri. I say all this to say that I have a favorite saying that I often give. Cemeteries or museums are those that are buried there. 
Cemeteries or museums to those who are buried there. Trust me, the left knows this. It's why they've gone and tipped over Confederate gravestones. It's why they've gone and desecrated cemeteries. And we were told for a while, well, let's take the monument and put it in a cemetery. That's where it belongs. Well, they just go into the cemetery and spray paint it and chisel at it. The line of the Confederacy in Atlanta was completely defaced and destroyed. They'll just go there and do that. Well, let's put it in a museum, they say. Well, you put it in the museum and it's put into a place where nobody's going to see it. And it's contextualized in a way that, of course, doesn't represent anything about it. So this is why you have to take a stand and say, no, it's going to stay right there where it is. And it's going to read right what it says on the base. And if you don't like it, put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants and get over it. It's done nothing to you. He says, as previously mentioned, my humble yet very rewarding attempts at preserving some semblance of Southern history takes place in Southwest Missouri. Here it's a little bit different than most places and presents its own unique challenges, mainly that through a mass exodus of antebellum Missourians and a post-war influx of true Midwesterners, mostly Ohioans, Indianians, and people from Illinois, these ties to the South have been buried, ignored, and forgotten. Facing these unique challenges often has me looking for inspiration, and like so many, I'm sure that Often is me looking back at where I tie into this story and why it matters. He gives this story about his about this man, Samuel S. Taylor. And it goes back to one of his relatives, one of his family members, George Washington Gibson, who served with Tennessee-born Captain Taylor. His Great-great-great-grandfather was a private in Captain Taylor's company. And they served together. And he says, Captain Taylor was a very kind-hearted and popular officer among his men. During the war, Mr. Uh, Turnbow was a private under, Mr. under Taylor's command who wrote a history, Silas Turnbow, of this period, and affectionately mentions his commander multiple times throughout his history of the 27th Arkansas Confederate Infantry. Captain Taylor openly fraternized with the enlisted men and was one of the leading souls in singing during religious services, including a massive revival that occurred at Camden, Arkansas in October of 1864. Most notably, as with any history of warfare ever, was the good captain's combat record. The Battle of Jenkins Ferry on the stormy morning of April 30, 1864, Turnbow recorded that during the intense fighting, Almost every one of the color guard was hit. When our color bearer fell, the flag dropped in the mud and water. It was only down for an instant when the brave and fearless Captain Sam S. Taylor of our company snatched it up and stepping in front of our depleted line, waved it over, the head, over his head and encouraged us to hold steady, boys. He seemed to defy the shower of deadly missiles that the Federals were sending into our shattered and diminishing ranks. On getting into the timber, we took position behind logs and trees which afforded protection from the enemy's deadly fire. Captain Taylor held the colors and carried them into the timber and was there relieved by, of them by one of the men. Captain Taylor's act in picking up the colors when he did under such a withering fire and encouraging us in that carnival of death was the bravest act I ever saw performed by an officer on the battlefield. I've thought of that noble man and that noble deed many times. Archie continues, Americans in later wars would have been awarded silver stars or distinguished service crosses for such gallant behavior. After his death, Captain Taylor received a headstone furnished freely by the very government whose invasion he fought to defend his nascent republic from. 
Surely that long-forgotten spirit of reconciliation stands for something. And sure, for those few who care to pick up Trumbo's book, he's been immortalized in a few sentences. During his lifetime, however, and unlike other Americans, save those of his own stripe, he received far less than he truly deserved. Crushing military defeat followed by a harsh occupation, complete with disenfranchisement and poverty. His life's details are sketchy, but typical of his kind, I'm sure. He no doubt met these challenges with the quiet, humble pride of a defeated people. Through what little details are known about his post-war lives, he seems to have been the very embodiment of the post-bellum struggles of the Southern people. A lifelong farmer, by 1910 he had been appointed postmaster of his community, which had been a position of trust and dignity among his neighbors. But by the summer of 1913, he applied for a Confederate pension, which he received, which, he, which had recently been funded by the state of Arkansas. In order to qualify, the veteran or his widow had to be disabled, have less than $500 in real personal property, and make less than $150 a year from all sources of income. To put it bluntly, adjusted for 2020 inflation, this was less than $10,000 in personal property and less than $4,000 annual income. This man, who had essentially led his country in three years of armed conflict, died practically penniless on April 18, 1920. His family was so poor that he went without a headstone until 1939, when the United States government gave him one and restored his dignity as an American veteran. The story, one of simple, common man showing leadership abilities and rising to the needs of the hour in desperate times is, an American, is as American as apple pie. And yet this current wave of Marxist iconoclasm wishes to completely destroy not only everything Captain Taylor and others stood for, but the very idea that they even enlisted in the, existed in the first place. Not to be cliche again, but that won't happen as long as we all do our part to keep alive stories of our own Captain Taylors. I mean, it's a great story. It's a great story. Uh, as someone who's just giving you a personal connection to this person. And, you know, he has a picture here of sitting by the monument. And I can tell you, when you go into these cemeteries, you feel a connection with these things as you do it in ways that you can't really explain. Uh, there's a great old Irish folk song written by the, well, written by Macon McLean's. It's not that old, I guess, in the last 50 years. Uh, and it's uh, a story about a private in World War I, Willie McBride, who was killed. And uh, the beginning lines are, you know, can I sit here by your graveside, take a rest, He's walking around, and he thinks about this soldier Did they beat the drums slowly? Did they sound the fife lowly? Did the rifles fire over you as they lowered you down? And he thinks about how this person died and who he was. Would he always remain 19 in some young girl's eye? Would he always be that? This is when you go into these places and you see these markers. And these are Confederate monuments. That for years, logical people people with a soul recognized as real people with real stories may not agree with everything they thought and everything they did and everything they said, but they were real people. And that's the humanity of it all that we're losing in everything that we're doing today. And that's why I like Travis Archie's story, because it's the humanity of the situation that's being lost in this rush to cancel everything. And why it's the job of people like us to ensure that that humanity remains there. Until next time.
Okay.